And what's going to help? Let's turn on our Bibles to the book of Hebrews in the back of the Bible. We've been making our way uh, through this incredible deep dive of God's word uh, to, to realize this. The writer of Hebrews, being inspired of the Holy Spirit, is calling you and he's calling me to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because life gets really hard and a lot of things don't go the way we had planned. Uh, things are difficult. And we lose our way. And so the writer has a way to say, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. The, the supremacy of Jesus is enough. The sufficiency of Jesus and all that he has done for you really is enough. He was writing to folks probably a lot like us in some ways. Uh, those who had given their life to Jesus. Those who, uh, uh, who believed that Jesus was who he claimed he was, the, the Lord and Savior. But something happened along the way. Now, they're different than us. They lived a long time ago. Uh, they were also uh, predominantly Jewish folks who grew up with the law and they understood the Old Testament. But things got tough and things were hard. That they thought that when they signed on to Jesus, when they said, yeah, you are the Messiah, that things wouldn't be as difficult, that things would be going a little better than they actually would. And they were actually wondering, should we look for somebody else? Is this Jesus really qualified to save us? Is he, is he really fit to rescue us? And they, they were having a, a moment of wrestle like all of us have had at different times. And the beauty of this letter, this beauty of this sermon, uh, the writer is saying to us, listen, whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you've been, fix your eyes on Jesus. And the things, the cares of this world, they're gonna grow strangely dim. Well, this morning, I'm going to go and venture into some unchartered and, dare I say, very tumultuous waters as I begin. Waters that I don't like going into whatsoever. I'm going to begin in some political waters. I know that most of you are thinking, oh, great. This is going to be wonderful. Let me, let me make sure that everybody knows in no way, shape, or form, not one am I trying to make even close to a political statement or even show favor to one or the other side because I want to forever be about Jesus for Christ and his kingdom. But this political climate that we find ourselves actually gives us an interesting backdrop to our text. And so what I would like to do is I would like to use it. Would you give me permission to, to use a little bit of a, a political climate to try to help understand our text this morning? I want you to know, God help us. God help me. What pastor's crazy enough to venture and try to show the truth of the Bible using today's political climate? But here we go. Making... America great again. This is a promise from one of our candidates. Stronger together is a promise for another one of our candidates. But both of our candidates have basically saying that they have the ability, that they are qualified, that they are fit to lead our nation. And have you heard some of the things they're promising us? Whether it's a male or a female, I will defeat ISIS. I want to say, really? You're fit? You're qualified? I mean, you have the ability to, to defeat ISIS? 
Uh, You have the ability to keep our borders safe or she has the ability to to turn around our economy or, or she or he has the ability to do the things they're claiming to do. I mean, you want to scratch your head and say, really, can one person actually do that? Can any candidate come close to delivering the promises that they are making? Well, the writer of Hebrews says that God has made some God-sized promises. I mean, some promises that through his son, he could bring, right, for this true and lasting eternal peace with holy God. That he could make all things new, including you. That he could bring peace to this tumultuous world. That, That he could cure everything that is broken and wrong. That Jesus has the qualification and the ability to do all these things. To fix your eyes on him. Because Jesus is a living hope. He's defeated death. And through him who conquered death. That that he's offered up heaven. And he's the best that heaven and earth have to offer. You know what the Bible says? Let's just be honest. That through Jesus, all things will be made new. Through Jesus, all things will be made right. All things. Through Jesus, all things will be made whole. And the writer keeps telling us that that the supremacy of Jesus, he's greater than any other, is is sufficient. And the sufficiency of Jesus, that he's he's done enough for you and he's done enough for me and what he, he continues to do to make all things right and all things new. How in the world can he do that? Well, the Bible portrays us, Jesus, God's son, fully God, fully man in flesh, that he, he executes or he's, he's a part of three offices. Uh, he does three roles, if you will, in the Bible. That he's a prophet, a priest, and a king. That Jesus is this conquering king. That, that he's defeated all of God's and our enemies through his life, death, and resurrection. That he's a king who should reign and rule over us. That he should speak into our lives and we should submit everything we have to him. That he's the ultimate prophet. Prophets in the Bible are those who uh, speak for the Lord. They say things like this, thus saith the Lord. But this ultimate prophet, Jesus, he doesn't just speak for the Lord. He speaks as God himself because he's God in flesh. He's got the last word. I mean, in Jesus, he's like the, the last prophet who speaks the last word in the microphone drop. There's no other word. Well, not only that, he is this perfect priest in Jesus. And what does a priest do? Well, in the Bible, a priest has a really important role. He he stands between holy God and sinful people. He's a mediator and he offers a sacrifice for sinful people. And he, he, he prays and intercedes for them. But the Bible tells us that the ultimate priest of God was Jesus, who not just represented God and man, because he was fully God and fully man. And he offers a sacrifice and the sacrifice that this perfect high priest Jesus offers is crazy. It's not bulls. It's, it's not goats. According to scripture, the sacrifice he offers is himself. He offers himself to, to set us free. Well, there is certainly in today's political world and even the last couple of elections, I would say a a lot of a rhetoric about who is qualified to hold the office of president. Who is qualified to be our commander in chief? Are they qualified? 
Do they have what it takes? Well, there was a lot of commotion in Jesus's day, especially when things get tough. Is, is this guy from Nazareth? Is, is this rabbi that, that, that did some amazing things with bread and, and uh, some fish? Is this this guy who could walk? Is, is this the one? Is he really able to save the way he says he is? Is he really able to be the savior of the world? Why? Because things seem so hard. Things seem so undone. Isn't it true in your life? How many things are still hard? How many things are still undone? And how many of you could raise your hand saying, and I bet on him, I voted for him. Is Jesus all he claimed he is? Is he really who he says he was and is? Well, to answer the question, is he qualified and is he fit? Scripture is going to point us to this. He's going to say that Jesus is this great high priest that we really need, everything we need in him. And he's going to use a very unusual figure in Scripture. He's going to allude to this guy named Melchizedek. And we're going to learn more this morning about Melchizedek. Anybody here a fan of the Lord of the Rings or a fan of Harry Potter or a fan of Star Wars? There you go. Or a fan of maybe the Bourne series? Anybody who likes a story that's told in, in many different ways and many different, like over the years, it tells one consistent story and you, you, you get a little piece of the story here and then you, you find out several episodes later that something that was mentioned back here becomes really important over here. Well, that's this guy named Melchizedek. He shows up in the Bible really early on. Matter of fact, it only takes 14 chapters in the book of Genesis for this really strange, and he's, he's odd, this king, this priest to show up. But he's going to show us that through this priest, he shows up again in the Psalms, in the middle of the Psalms. And all of a sudden, the writer of Hebrews is going to say, Jesus is so qualified to be the king of kings and Lord of lords and the only savior of the world. And he's going to be qualified through this guy named Melchizedek. And not only that, he's going to be fit. He's going to fit for, to serve us. And so we're going to dive into some deep waters. Let me just tell you that right now. And it's going to be a little technical for us to understand the qualifications of Jesus. And you have plenty of opportunity to get lost. And I have plenty of opportunity to bore the stew out of you. But my hope and prayer is this, is that you will see a couple things. One of this, the beauty of the literacy of God's word. This story is unbelievable. No human being could come up with this. I mean, clearly God's fingerprints are all over this. And not only that, but we see the beauty of who Jesus is in this story. So lean into the story, okay? And, and I'll do my best to, to try to keep it clear and concise. May the Holy Spirit do that which only he can do. We're going to primarily look at chapter 7 today. Uh, Jesus, our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But we're going to pick up the last two verses again from chapter 6 and, and use those to, to kind of help us run into chapter 7 as a, a rampway into uh, 7. But again, would you lean into God's word? Because why? It's holy and inerrant. God doesn't have his word here just to entertain us. He doesn't even have his word here just to educate us. This is God's word to truly transform us, to show us who he is and what he requires of us and what his son has done for us. So hear the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse 19 through seven twenty-eight. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain 
where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So Jesus is in heaven. He's gone into the highest heaven for us, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Chapter seven. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. This is Genesis 14. And to Abraham, at the time he was called Abram, appointed a tenth part of everything, basically a tithe. He is first, this this Melchizedek is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek in the Hebrew means king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, Jerusalem. And that is king of peace, the word meaning peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tent of the spoils. And these, those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a command in the law to take the tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior, Abraham, is blessed by the superior, Melchizedek. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. You still with me? Let's keep going. Verse 11. Now, if perfection had been obtainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with the tribe, Moses, with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. Let's just hit pause here for a minute. The argument he is saying here is this. Jesus, how can he be a priest? The priests come from the Levites, specifically from Aaron. And we know that Jesus, well, he came from the tribe of Judah, which makes great sense when we want to see him as a king, because a king was promised through the line of Judah. So how can we have a king also be a priest? And we have this solved in Melchizedek. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, and now they're going to quote Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, Again, Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Here's where we're going to settle. Here's where we're going to land. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, both completely and eternally, Those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifice daily for his own sins and then for the sins of those of his people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who is made perfect, who has been made perfect forever. Clear as a bell, right? Wow. Let us pray. Father God, thanks for the beauty of your word. And thank you for the beauty of your son who perfectly fulfills this high priestly office that all of us can find life and life abundantly through. God, can you please come and join us? Because in a lot of ways, this is really confusing. It's quite hard to understand uh, who is this Melchizedek and how does he qualify Jesus as a high priest? And what does it really mean for our lives? So God, I come and I come humbly, but I come boldly. And I ask that you would do that, which only you could do. That God, you would speak through a broken sinner like me. That God, you would speak clearly. That God, you would give us ears to hear your word. That you would give us minds to understand your truth. That you would give us hearts to embrace your son as our Lord and Savior. And that God, that you would give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Oh, Father God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that the things that I say are wrong or just my opinion in a passage like this, there's a lot of opportunity for that. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, our great high priest, our King Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And we're going to see in the beginning is this call of a need for a perfect priest. A need for a perfect priest. One who can make heaven great again. One who can open up heaven for sinners like us. One who is, who is truly great, who could love us and restore us, who can rescue us, who can offer a sacrifice that really works for us. One that who could 
honestly appease the wrath of holy God and shower us with unending love. We need a perfect priest. What kind of priest is qualified and what kind of priest is fit to do that? Think about qualified. How important did it become for a birth certificate to be produced? How important was it for us to, when, when the question arose about our current standing president, is he qualified? I mean, can, can, he, can he do the office? Is, is he really what he says he is? We need to see proof. We need to know he is qualified or she is qualified. And then once that is settled, you want to know, well, well are, is she, he or she fit? Can they do the job? Are they qualified and are they fit? Well, Jesus is called this great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And it's really through Melchizedek that Jesus is qualified. He's qualified to, to be a high priest. And I got to tell you, the qualification is a bit wordy. And, and it's, it could be, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but here's the bottom line. If we don't dot these I's and cross these T's, we, we wonder, well, is Jesus really qualified to do this? Is he really qualified to stand in heaven or rescue sinners like us? And we're going to look at that for a minute. And then we'll ask, is, well, is he really fit? Well, the qualifications come through this character, Melchizedek, who was clearly greater than, than Abram. And let, me, let me go to Genesis chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 14. Abram's uh, nephew, Lot, who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, was taken hostage and uh, it, things look bad. And Abram, although not really a warrior by trade, uh, gets together so many, goes and rescues him. It's an incredible rescue. It's like, if you love espionage, if you love uh, of covert uh, operations, you got to read this. This is, this is what Abraham does. And, and as he does this, there's this really weird story of, of the aftermath of, of what happened. And there's this guy who shows up. Let me read to you Genesis 14, starting in verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was God, he was a priest of God most high. And again, this is really strange that you have a king who's both a priest. Do you know anybody else who this might be foreshadowing who's a king who's also a priest? And he blessed him saying, blessed be Abram, you'll become Abraham. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tent. He tied him everything. Well, this Melchizedek, he's got a mysterious name. It's interesting. Melchizedek, as I mentioned earlier, it means king of righteousness or king of justice. And not only that, he's got this mysterious name, but he's got this reign of over Salem, which is king of peace. And so you have this mysterious name of a, a king who is both righteous, a king who is just, and a king who is going to be a prince of peace. Is there a shadow casting in your mind of who ultimately this will be fulfilled for? One who is that king of righteousness and justice. One who is that, that king of peace. But he also has a mysterious title. Kings weren't priests and priests weren't kings and kings weren't prophets and prophets weren't priests and kings. And yet we find that he had two titles. He was both a king. He was both a prophet. And we see that eventually Jesus will come along who will be a king, a priest, and a prophet, perfectly fulfilling those things. But he also has this mysterious lineage. 
This guy who kind of shows up out of nowhere in the book of Genesis. And if you read the book of Genesis, you know that Moses really wanted you to know lineage. Oftentimes we read the Bible and it starts telling us about Noah and his lineage or, or tells us about Abram and his lineage. And I know for all of us, it sounds, it feels like snoozeville. Is this really that important to me? But God with great detail wants us to know the characters of the story. And are they linked to the promised seed to come Jesus? Are they linked to the serpent seed? Where are they? But then completely uncharacteristic of everything that the writer of Genesis has done. He's going to give us his Melchizedek. He doesn't tell us about his genealogy. He doesn't tell us. He just kind of appears out of nowhere. You know, of scripture of anybody else whose genealogy is questioned. Think of the gospels when the Pharisees were arguing with Jesus because they couldn't understand this virgin birth thing. And they start saying, who's your father? Who's your father? I mean, tell me your lineage. What, what, what gives you the right? How are you qualified? We can't even link your birth certificate, Jesus. I mean, your birth certificate, when it comes to father, there's nothing listed. How in the world are you qualified to do this? And then, and then you have this wonderful, mysterious Melchizedek who shows up without genealogy, without giving us a name of a father or mother. I don't know. And not only that, there's this mysterious enduration. The thing about the high priest, they always died. They couldn't keep the office going. It's, it's kind of like our president. You always continually are voting for new ones over and over and over again. It, not necessarily because they die, but that's just in our constitution. But this priest is a priest forever. He was qualified. I want to take you quickly to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, Jesus is going to use when he's talking to religious folks, like in, in the gospel of Matthew 22, Jesus is being pressed to say, are you qualified? Are you fit? And they're trying to ask him all these questions to expose them. And so, so Jesus turns them to, to this Psalm right here. And he asks them a question. He says, okay, now we know that the savior is coming through King David, that David is going to have a son and the son is going to be the savior. But we look at scripture like Psalm 110 and David himself will call his son, my Lord. How in the world can the son be greater than the father? And he's looking him to this verse. Let me, this is Psalm 110. I'm going to read verse one. The Lord, capitalized L-O-R-D, which means Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, our great covenant God. The Lord says to my Lord, David is writing this. Yahweh is going to say to David's Lord, who's ultimately Jesus. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So he's also going to talk about Jesus in verse four. The Lord has sworn, the Lord Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, I'm a Bible nerd. I get excited about these things where you realize that Jesus, the promised Messiah, from the line of the tribe of Judah, qualifies to be this high priest through this mysterious Melchizedek who showed up. He is qualified, but it's more than just qualified. He fits. What do you want in a presidential candidate? What do you really want? Are you like me? I want two things. I want somebody who can relate to me. When I look at the candidate, sometimes like, I mean, gosh, is there anything in common I have with these people? 
I mean, is there anything that reflects my, I want somebody who, who is commander in chief that knows, knows us, that they're fit because they relate. The second thing is, and are you like me? I want someone better than me. I want someone smarter than me. I want someone that's, that's a leader. I mean, someone who commands respect. And this is what we have in Jesus. He's fit because why? He's a high priest who's like us. He gets you. He understands you. He knows you, you right for this? And he loves you. Hebrews 2, 17 will tell us of this Jesus. He'll say that Jesus was, was made like his brothers in every way. He put on flesh. He experienced your pain, experienced your temptation in mind. He is like us. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He relates to us. Hebrews 4, 15 will say it this way. We have a high priest who's been tempted in every way like us without sin, but he sympathizes with us. Don't miss this about Jesus. Do you, do you think he's just up there angry with you? You think he's just up there wringing his hands because you keep messing up? Oh, he sympathizes with you. He relates to you. He loves you. He understands you. He's fit to represent you as a high priest because he's been in your shoes. But there's more about Jesus. He's also fit because he's quite greater than us. He's a high priest who's better than us. Let me read again verse 26 through 28 about this Jesus. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Jesus is holy. I mean, he's without sin. He's innocent. He's always been without sin and always will be. He's unstained. He's unstained through temptation. He's separated from sinners and he's exalted above the heavens. He had no need like those other high priests to offer daily sacrifices for his own sins and the sins of his people. Because why? Because Jesus is our high priest is completely different than us. He's holy, separated from sin, perfect sacrifice. He's fit. That's why I will say to this, Jesus is the perfect high priest because he lives forever. He endures forever. So what's the point? Let's get there. Because Jesus is both qualified and fit to be your representative before holy God. The truth about this is this. He's able to save you and me to the uttermost. The word uttermost here has both, it has both the quality, it's complete, and also has the eternal time. Jesus is able to save, listen, he's able to save sinners like you and me absolutely completely, absolutely eternally, absolutely forever to the absolute uttermost. He's able to save us to the uttermost. Why? So that we can live to the uttermost, both completely and eternally. Jesus was not only qualified and fit to represent us. Ready for this? Jesus has qualified us and made us fit for heaven. He's qualified us and made us fit to receive God's love, to receive the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus saves to the uttermost, we must respond. And how do we respond to a God who saves us so wonderfully, perfectly, eternally? We live to the uttermost. Why? Because perfection truly has been obtained in verse 11. I love, we're going to get to it. Uh, uh, Hebrews 10, 14 says, through one sacrifice, Jesus has made forever perfect those who are being made holy. Did you hear what I just said? Scripture says that through the sacrifice of Christ, Jesus has made you and me sinners and thought, word, and deed. He has made us positionally in Christ Jesus perfect, declared not guilty, and he's still making us holy. There's that one-time sacrifice that was enough and that continuing work that is enough. 
We truly are free. We have a, a perfection that's been obtained and will be obtained. We have a hope that's introduced in, nine, in verse 19. We have a hope to draw near. How powerful was hope in the last election? I'm telling you that our current president got elected with four-letter four, four word, hope. To buy, without hope, we die. Without hope, we perish. And because of the work of Christ, you and I have a living hope that God will never change his mind about you. Heaven will forever be open for you and me. We have hope. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what happens, we'll never be alone. Why? Because salvation has been secured. He's able to save us to the uttermost. Jesus has qualified you and he's made you fit for heaven. Making heaven great again. It's basically saying that Jesus was good enough to set you free. That sacrifice at the ultimate high priest, he truly paid the penalty. He's truly not only paid the penalty, but the power of sin has been canceled. He's good enough to make you new. If you've given your life to Christ Jesus, here's what scripture says. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. He's good enough to keep you safe. Keep you safe from yourself. Keep you safe from your own sins that you can't seem to manage. Keep you safe from a world that's crazy around you. How does he keep you safe? Because his sacrifice, when he said it's enough, it was enough. And what does he still do? He lives to intercede for you and me. He never forgets us. It's ultimately his grip on us. He keeps us safe. Because Jesus saves to the uttermost, we must respond by living to the uttermost. What does living to the uttermost look like? That's what he wants you to do. If it's true what he's done, how do we respond? We live, love, live to the uttermost by loving to the uttermost. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. We live to the uttermost when we live for God's glory. Jesus came to rescue us, ready for this? So we could live for something so much more than our own pathetic little life. He came to rescue us so we could be a part of his story, to live for his glory, to do that which he's called us and created us to do. Because he saves to the uttermost, live to the uttermost. And lastly, as Jesus lives to represent us in heaven, let us represent him on earth. While he's in heaven, opening it up for us, holding a place for us, representing us. He has us here on earth to represent him. How do we do that? If you've been around me, you know I love these two handles that live in submission to Jesus as your king. You represent him by saying that there's, there's one who died for me and I must live for him. There's one who's washed me and now I respond and I live my life in submission to Christ as king. I live my life saying thy will be done. You also live your life on mission for Christ as king. That God has gifted you with the gifts you have, placed you where, you where he's placed you. But he's got you there for him. And you live on mission for Christ as king. We represent him. Why? He's given you his name. We wear his name. He's brought us to be a part of his kingdom. We're to live with the kingdom values that he has. Seek first the kingdom of God. How do we represent him? We represent his character. Striving to be holy as he is the holy. As he lives to tell our story in heaven, we live to tell his story here. Whoever you are, wherever you are, as you are. He 
wants to tell his story through you. You see, Jesus has qualified us. He's qualified us and he's made us fit to even represent him here. Most of you, some of you will not believe that. Now he can't use me. I'm too far gone. I'm too far broken. I'm too far messed up. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I mean, that's whatever excuse you want to put up in front of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ says he's enough for you. He's enough for you. And he wants to set you free. He wants you to live. I mean, really live to the uttermost. And it's still going to be some tears until he comes. There's still going to be brokenness. But man, it's going to be with him. And live to tell his story. Have you ever experienced a more crazy political climate than this? I, I, I loved uh, <laughs> talking to a young person recently. He said, I've never seen it like this. I'm like, bro, you're 21, man. I mean... <laughs> in the world you're talking about. But it's never been this crazy. I know a lot of us are scared. A lot of us are wondering what in the world's gonna happen. I sure hope you're not putting your hope in a political party. I sure hope you're not putting your hope in a candidate. And I hope, sure hope that whatever happens in this election you're not going to live in despair that God's left the building. Jesus is enough. And he's qualified. He's qualified as Lord and Savior. He's fit to truly rescue us. Our hope is in him. Here's who you need to vote for. Jesus. You need to vote for him tomorrow when you wake up. You need to vote for him tomorrow night when you put your head in the pillow. And you need to wake up on Tuesday and vote for him again. And you need to live your life knowing that, listen, that he loves you and he's enough for you. And his kingdom has come and I'm telling you there's no end to it. And it will come in its fullness. He's given you and me a living hope. Let's live that reality out. He's got a grip on us. He will not let us go. We need to live our lives in response to this gospel. And we need to vote for him with everything that we are. Why? Because he's making us great again. He has and he will. Because he's awesome. And he's great. And he deserves all we have. Go live free. Go represent him. Let us pray. Jesus, thanks for deep waters today. I mean, wow. Thanks for Melchizedek. If there's nothing else about your Bible that's true, and there's so much, it's the beauty of the story. It's the beauty of just this one hero, this one story, this one truth that, that runs through Genesis to Revelation, that there is a God, and a God who is, and a God who loves, and a God who rescues everything we long for and everything we need and everything we hope for, it just, it finds its intersection, its reality in you, Jesus. And, and we're like those folks in the book of Hebrews. And we, we look around at the circumstances. They, they looked around at the political climate of their day and said, has Jesus left the building? Is Jesus enough? Is he really qualified? Is he, does he really fit to do this? And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, we realize the reality that, yes, indeed, you are Jesus. You are qualified because you're God. 
You are fit because you're King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the ultimate high priest. And Father, because your son can save us to the uttermost, we must, as your people, live to the uttermost. Because, Jesus, you live to intercede for us in heaven, we must live to represent you on earth. And what a privilege that is. God, help us to do that for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.